I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's beautiful episode, I got to have my friend, Dr. Andy Galvin, back on the show for round two. Andy is a tenured professor at CSU Fullerton. He's got a master's degree in human movement sciences. He's been in the industry doing this forever. He's a co-host of Barbell Shrugged, which you guys are familiar with that through Mike Bledsoe being on this podcast. And um, he's got a new book out with other friends of the podcast, Brian McKenzie and Phil White. It's called Unplugged. Highly recommend checking that thing out. We get into the details of that book and uh, we go deep in this one. We get into... uh, molecular exercise physiology (laughs) you could say and uh, going so deep to the point that eventually we deem it or at least I deem it as uh, just being a bunch of magic and what the hell that means Um, really really fun conversation I also get into some more tangible, actionable tips on how to increase our longevity in these bodies really love this conversation here's a little clip just like the the wires going over this thing well that's actually not one wire right there it looks like one wire but there's a bunch of individual wires inside that that are all wrapped around each other and then inside any one of those individual ones is probably a bunch of other smaller wires wrapped around that's exact construction of of muscle if you guys are called, thank you so much for checking out the website, aligntherapy.com. On there, you can start the five-day movement challenge, break down some fundamentals, start integrating into your daily life, and also check out the show notes for this show. Um, I got a quote, which actually comes off of the website of Dr. Andy Galpin, andygalpin.com, and uh, pretty simple stuff. On there, he does a lot of education and top of the, the page of what we do, share your knowledge. It's a way to achieve immortality. Dalai Lama. I think sometimes we can be stingy with our information and living kind of more of like a scarcity type mindset with that. And I think that just closes us up in a room and uh, keeps us from connecting and networking and integrating with the world. So Dalai Lama and Andy Galpin both seemed to be under the belief that we should spread that knowledge. Um, Thank you guys so much for utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the top right sidebar of the podcast page, linetherapy.com slash podcast. Uh, thank you for the folks that purchased the Gokule sit cushion and someone bought a Snow White costume and some other stuff. So really appreciate that. Great free way to support the podcast. Cost you nothing. Bookmark it when you buy crap. Buy it through there. It's great. Final thing, if you guys leave us reviews on iTunes and we read it in the intro, we will send you out a box of Four Sigmatic Mushrooms. Just got a review from the Reflective Runners. Has a little bit of everything you need. Five stars. Aaron is someone you wish was your best friend. He brings humor, wisdom, and awareness to things that I wish more people talked and cared about. Then he continues on with some beautiful words. So thank you so much, Reflective Runner. Shoot us a message at Align Podcast on any of the social medias, and uh, we'll get you out some some shroomies. All right, here we go. Back to the show with Dr. Andy Galpin. Chicka, chicka, boom, podcast people like rules right it's easy to follow okay i do this and i do this and i never do a b and c yeah. okay and that makes that makes it easy to implement 
So I understand that aspect of it. But inherently, when you make rules, like, they're not. That's not correct. The more detailed, the more specific you you give an idea, the less probably accurate it gets. Mm. And so w one of the questions I get all the time is, is you know, when I lift weights, I heard I'm never supposed to do this. I heard I'm always supposed to do this. The butt yeah. wink is a big one. Whatever, right? Yeah. Pick pick your thing. Right? Yeah. And so I, I kept always telling myself, like, that's, well, that is true maybe under this lens or in this context. So if you are doing A for B and C and D, never do X. But are we always lifting for A? Well, no, we're not, because another person might be lifting for B. Another person might be lifting for C. Another person might have a totally different reason why they're doing it. And so we can't put these rules into place without understanding what the person is doing it for. Right. So we take the handstand you just did there. And if I, if you were doing that for the purpose of muscular strength or doing the, that for the purpose of um, uh, gymnastics technique, or you were doing that for the purpose of, I don't know, just playing around. Mm. Well, now there's different rules that may or may not be true under one of those circumstances, but would not be true at all for the other circumstance. Yeah. And so that's, I think, I, I wanted to help people understand why those common rules we think are about lifting specifically and why it's like, hey, Lifting weights is more than just lifting weights. Like there are, there we can do other things with it. We can have different numbers, and we can do different techniques and different movements when we understand and we open up our perspective a little bit. Mm. A and we have to understand that people are doing these things for different reasons. So that's why I wanted. I felt like if people understood why the field was shaped the way it was, and the reason fitness and health got popular and exercise got popular in America, and you understand why all that is being delivered to you in a marketing message from one singular perspective. There's nothing wrong with that perspective, but that's not all your options. Yeah. And so I think when we embrace that, we can go, oh, okay. Well, now I'm starting to look at this from a more complete and 360 degree angle. Now I can apply a rule if I feel like it's important in that goal, or I can be freed from that rule and I can go explore other things. Yeah. There was, um, have you ever heard of Ed, Edward Bernays? He was like the father of modern marketing. No. He was a uh, nephew or something of Sigmund Freud. He was, he was, mm -hmm. like a, he was, mm -hmm. he, he was responsible from what I've, Impressive. I've yeah, from what I, I, uh, gathered in a documentary that I, that I saw. Um, he was mainly responsible for getting women into smoking cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Great guy. <laughs> Amongst other Lessons things. Lessons learned. Other things. He was good at convincing. <laughs> yeah, he was right? good at convincing. You know, the big thing was attaching people. You have to get into people's, um, what people identify with and their value system. Yeah. You know, what they want to represent. And yep. in, and you're in the Unplugged book, which I, I've, I've uh, just, just actually wrapped up just before you came over here. Oh, good. Um, one of the things you get into there is like tribes. Yeah. You know, and like the, just the, the, the necessity for having that tribe. That's kind of a side tangent. Really, what I what I want to get at is sometimes I think from like a consumer perspective or a seller perspective, it's kind of like tell the people what they want. They're stupid. They don't know what they want. You need to tell them what they want. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that happened with fitness. <laughs> oh, oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, there's a wonderful article I would recommend uh, people go read by Malcolm Gladwell. came out in 1999. I think it was called... Oh, my gosh. I just dropped the name of it. We can show notes it. Okay. We'll come back to it. Um, but he basically went through, he took 10 or 15 or 20 very popular diet books. And he went through them and realized, like, oh, my God, they are all using the exact same story arc. And I can't remember the exact same, but I'll make mm, the point, which is yeah. sort of like, okay, step number one, convince you you have a problem that you don't actually have. Yeah. 
Step number two, convince you I have the miracle cure for that problem. Step number three, make you realize I am the only one who has the cure. Step number, and then you realize you're like, wait a minute. Now all of a sudden I'm buying your diet supplement thing because I think I'm fat. When 20 minutes ago, I didn't even think I was fat. Mm. But now you've created a problem in me. Oh, it turns out you also have the solution to that problem. Yeah. Weird, right? I mean, this is this sounds like the same thing that the, the marketing person did with smoking and women. Yeah. It's created an identity there, like uh, the classic infomercial, like unhappy with your life, fatigued, tired, not where you want to be. Like, I guess I am a little tired. <laughs> it's like right. all of a sudden you created a problem that um, maybe I wasn't really that tired, but now I feel, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a little, little bit bummed out lately. Yeah, it's uh, iatrogenic disease. If you, I, I might be saying that wrong. I always try to remember this term and I never get it, but it, diseases that manifest as a product of going to see a doctor mm. that you never actually had, but all of a sudden, sure. we, well, we have all these, we have literally a million dollars worth of tools in the office here. We're going to find something. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's bad science 101, right? So you don't, you don't look at the data postdoc. Like, if you can't predict what would have happened there, then, then there's no real finding, mm. right? That, that's, that's data mining going through enough things to find an eventual problem. Um, this is one of the main issues we have with a lot of the wearable technologies that we talk about in the book is a lot of people are doing that. If we throw enough data at you, you'll find something. Therefore, it revalidates our product. See, told you you had to have it. You would have never saw this without our product. Right. But more than likely, it's a false finding. Yeah. It's not really the issue, or even is an issue. It's just the fact that you've collected so many data points. We ran so many tests on you, we will find something. <laughs> eventually wrong with you and from the the marketing perspective from some of these health or fitness and nutrition companies i mean this is what this is what they're doing like they realize where your weaknesses are yeah women are going to be insecure about a b c and d men are going to be in this and so they can actually where it's getting really scary is with the social media marketing and so now with their artificial intelligence programs they can gear that specifically all the way down to not just men versus women but gen ethnicity likes, dislikes, political slants, sport affiliations, and now you can get a totally, the exact same product can be marketed completely different to you based on the types of things you like on Facebook more often than not. Yeah. The video you see, the ad you'll see will be totally pitched a different way because they're preying upon that weakness. Like what are you most, what are, what are inner city African Americans most likely to be insecure about? Okay. They're going to get that pitch. What are suburban white 45 year old men get it? Okay. Boom. Like, and they're all going to get totally different pitches, which is, mm. I mean, this is marketing. It's like, say what you want about it, but they're going to be going after those things. And it, I, I think one of the points we made in Body Knowledge is just recognize that this is happening. I'm not saying it's bad. Like, this is just the way that the future is going to be. But recognize it's happening and recognize that they are creating a problem that you maybe didn't realize, but maybe didn't realize it because it wasn't really a problem. And now you're hypersensitive to it. And, and this is the future of marketing, is no more wasting time on putting one ad up that goes across the same TV screens across right. the entire country. Right. It's going to be very specifically tunneled, um, which is much more effective from their perspective. So you, I, just, we just want people to be conscious of, like, this is what's going on behind the scenes at a lot of these marketing companies. And um, they're going to be able to create drama in you that 
Maybe you didn't need to hear. I haven't been able to wrap my head around a problem with that until literally right now as you're explaining it. Because I'm kind of like, I really like when Amazon tells me what I want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Great recommendation. You're I, right. I did love that book. Thank I've you. I meaning to get that one. Yeah. You know, and so part of me is I'm like, I'm like, no, I'm like, I don't really give a shit. Like, I think it's kind of cool that my, you know, computer knows me better. Mm-hmm. And then. As you're explaining that, I'm kind of seeing it from a different perspective of... Yeah, and that's why I want to be careful. That I'm, I'm not against it either. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm with you. It, it's, especially from a business owner perspective, which I'm not, but you can imagine, like, well, I just, I didn't go out of business because I was able to market my material much more effectively. Yeah. Totally get that. Um, but it's it's just the ability of creating uh, a need or a false problem when it, it's predatory marketing. Right. Which is really what it's going to get down to. So it's instead of drawing something like, imagine a, an ad that comes across that says something like, uh, hey, this is a new product you might like. You bought this other one, etc. You bought this training tool. Maybe you like this other kind of kettlebell. Also good for this. Has an advantage that it can do this, this, and this. You're probably likely to buy that. That's quite different than the thing that comes by and goes, you know, you, You've been embarrassed at the gym lately? Like, can't quite get it up? Like, too str- you're like, well, God, <laughs> like, now, now I've attacked you in this vulnerable space. Uh, and, and I think that is sort of like, maybe that's not fair. Like, maybe maybe that's not what we need for people because I don't feel like that's going to help a lot of people in the end. Mm. That's different than giving you an option, which is like, oh, God, I, I never heard about that kettlebell till it popped up on my, my feed. That's great. I'm so excited that it did that. That's different than preying on your insecurities and going around and going to you specifically going, this is the age, gender, ethnicity, whatever else. What are you most likely to be insecure about? Well, let's hammer on that and let's create uh, a pain in you so that you have to come to us for the solution and we can monetize that. Yeah. I just don't know if that's helpful for people. Um, one of the things in the in the in the book, uh, this one actually, Brian McKenzie, who's the the co-author, author, author, you're all co-authors, however that terminology yeah. is, co-author of the book. Whatever. Um, he had mentioned to me personally, and this is another thing where I was like, oh, I never thought about this. Of like, as they're gathering all that information from everyone, they're keeping that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and then and this is another one where I was like, Brian, I don't really give a shit. I think that's great. And he's like, no, man, you don't understand. <laughs> Can you explain why that's why that's fucked up? Well, <laughs> it, it depends. There, there is a a large ethical debate that isn't happening that probably needs to happen, which is who owns these things. So, don't worry about marketing per se. But we'll, we'll give you maybe more tangible, a little scarier one, which is to say, uh, you you got your genome sequenced so that you could figure out if you react well to saturated fat or not. Right, so these are all available. Everyone, you know, 23andMe, all this stuff, right? Well, 23andMe keeps those data. Like they own that. You never sign consent that says you are allowed to keep my personal data. You would have to with this HIPAA. If you go to the physician, you go to a doctor. That doctor cannot sell your private medical data, but these other companies can, because buried in their little uh, package that you buy is an implicit opt, what's called opt-in, which is a way to say unless you tell us otherwise. The fact that you bought this, you're signing consent. Yeah, That's not how the medical field works at all. You have to sign specific consent. I mean, I don't know the last time you've been to a doctor, but you have to sign like 78 pages and inform everything, that, and this is all your HIPAA concerns, right? Which is to protect other people from privatizing, monetizing, and owning your medical information, right? Well, these other companies don't have that. Privatized blood work, they don't have these contracts, so they're opt-in. 
Now, what they can do is a couple of things. Number one, like if you look at the DNA Fit Kit model, fantastic. Uh, we will actually almost give away or lose money on a product so that we can collect mega data on you. Hmm. Like if you think that they're there to make money on selling those kits to get your DNA, you're out of your mind. Oh, I just did one a few days ago. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I have two, right? No problem. <laughs> but those companies have such value, not because of the, the, the $200 that they get for the kit. It's because of the mega data they, they're capturing. That's why people want these companies and why they're worth a billion dollars. Why does it matter, though? Why is that? Why is What's malicious about that? So, is, what, I guess the question. I'm not, so uh, again, to be make sure I'm careful, I'm not necessarily saying they are entirely malicious. Um, just like the marketing thing. I don't necessarily think it's all bad. I think it's just a conversation we need to make sure we're having and that people are aware so then they can decide for themselves if it's bad or for them or not. Hmm. Um, I'm sure a lot of these companies, and I don't know the people at DNA Fit Kid. I'm just, this is the company that's on the top of my head. So they may be all great people. But just hypothetically, what yep. would worst case scenario be? So if hypothetically we is road? things like we start to realize um, we have identified, say, some polymorphisms or some genetic markers that we think can cure diabetes or massively fixes. So we've identified this gene mutation is the real problem. Therefore, if we can stop or fix or alter this mutation, we can almost cure diabetes. Now we are going to have a patent on the, the, um, the cure. That now we have a problem because now they used all of your information that you never signed off on to monetize, make a trillion dollar company and then hold ransom the cure. Because now they can charge $10,000, $20,000 a treatment, and there's no recourse to it because they use that. And that's all information that they took from you without your consent, and you ain't getting a cut of that check. Mm. And that's one of the only industries where they can do things like that. And so, uh, again, Brian and I's positions are the fact we're not against it. We're just saying, well, let's make sure that we're all clear of what's going on here and that when you do something like this, you can't end up coming back to hurt me, especially when the next generation comes, which is privatized medicine and now it is privatized in the way of saying we connected your we collected your genetic data oh now this other company wanted it yeah we're gonna go sell it to them well wait, why uh, well then they're gonna be actually a hold on to your personal information and in the case of this was the scare with dick cheney right so this the, when the scare was when we put the artificial intelligence into his heart rate his pacemaker well if i can hack that guess what i can hit a button and your heart stops mm. Like this is all. This is not sci-fi anymore. All of these things are are right here and existing. And with CRISPR-Cas9, like genetic sequencing, genetic editing is is a real thing. So as we learn more and more about the genome, we have to understand that like, well, my personal rights have to be protected. So those are all worst-case scenarios of number one, they could completely own and patent something that is not ever been patentable before, and they would own your personal information that knows. Your sequence was could easily put in things like we could develop, say, a powder that is toxic to you but not to me. And then I could just, you know, go ahead and put that on your on your door and your roommate wouldn't get sick, I wouldn't get sick, and all of a sudden you would kill over and die. Uh, and that wouldn't be detectable at an airport, wouldn't have to have arson or anything like this in it. Because we found out actually you didn't you didn't realize, but you're super sensitive to this African bee pollen or something. Boom, put that in there. Well, they would never figure the fact that out if they didn't have your DNA sequence. They'd have a million options to go through. They would never get the right one. But they could figure it out and go, wow, you actually are going to be hypersensitive to this little thing that most people aren't. Mm. Let me ding that onto you because I know that you've got that polymorphism. Mm. And those are all problems. And I know that's, that's, you know, taking this with a view from them to be super nefarious, but. It's the same thing that the president does. 
or like you know he's got a, his little president poop bag or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> no one touch the poop yeah. like, poop comes with us exactly <laughs> for sure <laughs> and no one really cared about that now because of the fact that the computing power needed to do things like this was so astronomical that no no company's going to do this for some idiot like you and I like mm. nobody cares well now with computer supercomputers it's actually viable to get through things like this mm. and so it becomes a problem, and it's going to become even bigger and bigger of a problem as computing and technology get bigger, theoretically. So it's it just, again, about us having, let's at least have the conversation to make sure that all parties are actually truly informed. The other end of the argument would be simply um, the whole purpose of informed consent. So when I signed a, a contract with you, and I'm unaware of what you're doing with the data on the back end, that is in violation of one would say, my personal right to understand what you did. We did not come into the same agreement with that contract, in other words. Yeah. So I paid you to do A, you told me you are going to do B, and then you didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know you were doing D over here with it. Yeah, I get that. And that's just not telling me. So there is a level of um, transparency that, that needs to be there. The other thing that I find, this is a, a, a bit of a turn, but the, um, in the, the Unplugged book, there's, there you have a, a bar graph, and it's connecting your fitness versus mm. your obesity versus, you know, and like connecting up to mortality rates and such. Yeah. And I think a part of this, one could potentially argue that culturally we're suffering from maybe, you know, a variety of mental illnesses in relation to fitness, nutrition, you know, body dysmorphia, like all these different things. Maybe if you want to look at it that way. And I wonder how many of us are kind of fitnessing or working ourselves actually into dis-ease or dishealth. You know, and something that you were kind of drawing out with there is, I kind of am actually having two, two different because because the, okay, the, yeah, the graph didn't relate to that exactly. What yeah. the graph related to is fit people. Uh-huh. It's more it's more important your fitness than like your your level of body weight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a very. But there's another part that I'd like to piggyback on that. But that's that's well, just that part. Okay. Which okay. We'll, we'll go there. I'll just go quick then. Yeah. So we don't <laughs> well, whatever. Uh, and that's amazing work from a colleague of mine, um, John Myers at Stanford, and original work by guys like Steve Blair. So if this stuff excites you, Google their names. And they, they, I mean, there's literally, this is not one particular paper I'm referencing right now. This is dozens, if not hundreds, of studies that have shown the similar thing. So Google your own time on those guys, and you'll find plenty of studies. But uh, originally what they're trying to do is, is get a grasp of what does healthy really mean. And we can use these, these, these metrics like blood pressure and blood cholesterol as predictors of who's going to be healthier. But we really want to define what health really means. And a very good way to define that is mortality. In other words, like who lived longer, who didn't. And I love that because that's like the perfect scientific marker. Like all the rest of this is pseudo shit. Like you're all trying to predict who's going to live long. Why don't we use living long as the end metric, hmm. period. And you can imagine the complexity, the difficulty of studies like this, especially when they get 30 or 40 or 50,000 people enrolled in the study. So what they tried to do with all these studies is they look at all different markers that you would clinically, typically get a clinical situation. So, uh, you know, an EKG and blood pressure, cholesterol, family histories, smoking histories, and they go through the whole rigmarole, the normal traditional approach. And most studies are actually bearing out that that actually doesn't predict at all how long you're going to live. It doesn't really matter. Not that it doesn't matter, but it's not really going to tell us if you're going to live longer than I am. But if we measure things like your leg strength, 
that will actually tell us. Hmm. Your grip strength will tell us. Your VO2 max, which is uh, uh, you know how much oxygen can you bring in and use. Your cardiovascular health. Those are all, not only are they significant predictors, but they tend to be more significant predictors of mortality than even history of heart attack. Um, they're more significant than body weight or obesity, which is not to say smoking doesn't increase your chances of mortality. It definitely does. Obesity, if you add more fat mass, it's going to be detrimental to your health. It's simply saying fitness and performance trump all of those things. So just because you smoked for 20 years and you're obese, just get fit, and that's going to put more on your life than the 20 years. Um, you ha you can change, like you can really impact your own health by just getting in better physical fitness, by getting stronger. Uh, that'll keep you alive. That'll keep you living more independently a lot longer while you're working on the smoking, while you're working on the obesity. Mm. And in addition, if you are working on those things and you're getting fitter and you're getting in better shape, if you want to call it, but you're not losing any weight, if you're doing it for the sake of health, don't be discouraged. Like losing the weight is, is honestly more for aesthetic purposes than it is for health. So don't be discouraged. Are you getting fitter? Yeah, then you're getting healthier. You're going to live longer. You're getting more functional. Yeah, your body's feeling better. Yeah, more like this is the metrics we should be concerned with. And don't worry about if blood pressure's gone down yet. Don't worry about if these other markers that we think are health are budging or not budging. We can worry about those later, but let's let's make sure are you are you actually functioning better as a human? Well that's a more important metric for health than these arbitrary sort of silly tests. So that's, that's sort of the first piece. So the piggyback part, <coughs> where I th I'm actually kind of, in a sense, contradicting, but also agreeing at the same time, oh is <laughs> um, I think we can become too attached. This is the agreement part. Become too attached to certain biomarkers or blood yeah, pressures yeah. or fat or whatever Absolutely. it is. Like, okay, I need that number. Or you know I'm 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 not, I'm not healthy. Yeah, physiology does not work that way. And then that ends up creating this excess degree of stress in your life that you're now being occupied by. Now stress yeah. is associated to inflammation. Inflammation is associated to everything, you know. And so I think there's there's that component, mm -hmm. you know. And then the other question is like, okay, so fitter is healthier. Okay, great. Well, what the hell is fitness? Yeah. So in these particular studies, fitness is specifically uh, the word that. So scientifically, that there's a definition for that. So that has a placeholder in science. When you say fit in science, that specifically means one thing. It means VO2 max. Like That's it. Those are the same exact words. Now, that's not at all even remotely suggesting the only thing to be fit, quote-unquote, is VO2 max. Right. But that's just what the word means. So we, I think most of us that have a decent brain would recognize there is more to being a healthy human functioning than just a VO2 max, which I think is what you're really getting at. Yeah. So, yeah, do not be tied to that metric alone. You you might have a high VO2 max, and the rest of you might be broken as hell. Mm. Like that, That's not a good thing either. Um, but in, in studies like this, the only way you get answers is you have to th have things that are objective, not subjective, that are quantifiable, that are repeated, uh, that are um, valid, that are uh, reliable and repeatable, things like that. So you pick a, a metric that's mechanically measured so you take the objectivity and out of it and place in his put in his place subjectivity yeah but uh, it's just because it would be impossible to take 30,000 people and put them through other functional fitness tests right. um, so that's why they use it but that's not that that is not at all to say it should not be interpreted to say that that is the only m marker of fitness those are like the metals 
there's a quote that you have in there. It's like a oh yeah yeah is about the Phelps the Phelps coach, and yeah. it's like we focus on excellence and the medals come. Yes, exactly exactly right. So we're yeah. just giving people metrics to say that, um, but the excellence should be the strive. Yeah. If we interpret that, so don't focus on the number. Focus on physical excellence. Yeah. The the grip strength one is I th one that I think is a really nice like quantitative mm -hmm. tool for people to have. Is there any kind of like biomarker trick something or not something some kind of uh, tests quantitative tests for people to start thinking about right now so for grip strength yeah sure yeah that. yeah um i think that's a that's a very easy one it's a very good one um just to clarify that point as well it's not that grip strength matters per se for health uh, it is just a very good easy to implement marker so for example if your grip strength is better you're probably stronger overall and if you're stronger overall, you're probably more fit. And if you're probably more fit, you're probably going to live longer. So it's not, this is correlation, not causation. Mm. So be careful about teasing that out. Um, like for example, if we improved your grip strength right now 5%, you're probably not living 5% longer. Because your grip strength already pretty dang good, probably. I'm just guessing, based on the way that you train and, and move around. Now, if somebody who doesn't exercise at all, and we walked into the next, the grocery store, next door or something and we just started picking people out of a lineup and you we found three women about the same size about the same age and one of them had a grip strength of 50 the other one was at a grip strength of 48 and the other one was at a grip strength of 20 then we could probably clearly say you you at 20 you're in problem you're in, in you got issues you're mm. probably not going to live very long so th that's an important consideration and and i can't answer your question now with that being said yeah yeah of course so there are easy tools, and this is one of the reasons actually something like grip strength, which sounds a bit nebulous, and you're like, what? I don't really understand how that makes me live longer. It's not that it's necessarily that important uh, as a marker per se, but it is easy to implement and measure. So you can buy a thing called a hand grip dynamometer. It's just, you know, a 12 inches big, probably costs 30 bucks, something like that on eBay or anywhere you want. Uh, Am eBay. Who uses eBay anymore? Not me. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> I, said I check every now and again, depending really? on what it is. Yeah. I feel like it's been if it's years. like a rug from Morocco or something like that, I'd be like, mm. I wonder if eBay's got it. Okay. You know? <laughs> All right. That makes sense. I haven't been buying rugs from Morocco, so that's probably why. Yeah. Uh, you can buy it anywhere, that's the point. You, you know what? They're probably, at, they're probably at Walmart now. They're probably everywhere. Yeah. Um, but it's easy for physicians to use. So unlike something that's more complicated, it's just not realistic for physicians to implement these things in five minutes. But something like that, you don't have to practice. There's no technique. It's just grab this thing, squeeze it, done, over. There's no warm-up involved. And so I think when we start to implement this in the current healthcare system, it is a viable option, uh, at least to get a starting place. And it's not going to tell us, again, the difference between 50 and 52. But if you are 20, we can be like, whoa, we need to do further investigation. I need you here. I know your blood pressure is good and your cholesterol is great. But I'm telling you right now, this other flagged up, we, we got to deal with some issues. So I think it's easy to implement that way. So you can buy a hand grip dynamometer, and you can look up the normative values for, for how the number, when you squeeze it, basically it's a little device that you grab and you squeeze as hard as you can, and it gives you a score. And that'll tell you, like, doing great, doing okay based on your age and size and things like that. I think more functional me measures are things, though, like, uh, and, uh, barring any shoulder issues or something, um, can you hang, just grab a bar and hang, for a minute. Yeah. I think that's pretty decent. If you're at 30 seconds, that's that's okay. Work on that. Anything over a minute, I think that's that's great. Um, if it's like 1,000, 1,000, falling off, for men especially, um, 
that's probably not great grip strength wise. Uh, for females, you know, you have to mark the, you have to slide those markers down a little bit just because the bias of upper body strength towards men. So if you're a female though and you make 30 seconds hanging, hey, that's pretty good. If you can make 15 seconds, it's okay. Less than that though, maybe we need to work on the grip strength. Yeah. Uh, other easy markers, if you do any farmers carries, you know, can you carry 50% of your body weight for 20 yards? So if you weigh 150 pounds, can you hold, let's say, a 35-pound dumbbell in one arm and a 35-pound dumbbell in the other arm? Can you just walk 50 yards? Right. And I don't know, you adjust those numbers. You get it. Like, there's nothing magical about those metrics I gave you, but those are some very specific things you can do depending on the equipment you have. Um, or just take those concepts and mold them around stuff you do have or things you do like to do um, and, and find some relative concept of... of can you hold things pretty well, uh, or can you not? Yeah, that was that was my my question. I asked in kind of like a, a drunken, meandering, <laughs> toddler way of. <laughs> but that was. Yeah. I think that sometimes with those, as far as actually like a functional test, what I would consider a functional test, the reason your grip strength is relevant is because oh, it, you're able to hang off of something. Oh, you're yeah. able to pick something up heavy up off the ground yep. so the grip strength is just the end point something we can measure easily once That's you exactly get right. the, yes. the gripometer or whatever it's called then it's like well, what the hell are we doing yeah 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 like don't worry that's exactly right can can we uh use a functional outcome it doesn't matter use a real life outcome yeah. anything you're just trying to get a reasonable idea of saying um if, if i'm likely to be able to survive because this is really about function um the we can explain this easily with the leg strength one as well so people constantly ask, like, why the hell is my leg strength important for longevity? Well, one of the number one predictors of living long is how long you live by yourself. And I don't mean without another human. I mean without needing assistance. Autonomous, yeah. Yeah, right. So independence. Well, one of the number one predictors of that is also leg strength. And the reason is, if you can't do simple things like stand up from a toilet by yourself then you're very likely to either go to assisted living or your family who you're living with is going to be like, you're going to assisted living because I'm tired of picking you up off the shitter every day. So if you can be stronger in your legs, you're much more likely to, to be able to do things like that. Most people recognize that. They don't recognize these next two points. Number one, there's clear evidence. The stronger you are, the more physically active you're going to be. Again, folks, keep in mind, I'm not talking about 25-year-old CrossFitters. Like, if you take your back squat from 480 to 510, you're not going to be more physically active, right? We're, we're talking about the average person, right? Normal people. So if you can't, let's say, leg press half your body weight, that means every time you go to stand up and walk across the street, that requires a very high percentage of your maximal leg strength, which basically means you're doing like a one-rep ma ma one max workout every time you go check the mail. So how likely are you for you to go take that meeting walking? How likely are you to go for a walk on the beach? Not likely because it's really hard and really fatiguing. So the real issue is it reduces or almost eliminates your physical activity. And that becomes a massive problem. Weight starts coming up. All the other issues that we know are associated positively with physical exercise, they get, I mean, immune system, endocrine system, all of it just gets tanked. Because of that, VO2 max comes down, cardiovascular function goes down, and all of a sudden, before you know it, you're stuck in bed. And atrophy leads to atrophy, so the less you do, the less you feel like doing, and you end up in this bad circle where you lay in bed all day. And it happens really, really quickly. You don't really notice it until you cross that threshold. And once you fall below that, then it's like, whoa, it's so hard to do everything. You just keep falling down. So the higher you can set that bar, 
then the further away you are from crossing that line of independence. Hmm. And the third thing is um, what most people don't realize, sorry, in terms of, of leg strength is how important eccentric strength is for morbidity. Hmm. What I mean by that is a number, one of the number one causes of death in elderly is breaking bones, breaking hips specifically. Well, the reason you break a hip is because you trip or fall or slip, right? And you don't have the leg speed or eccentric leg strength to be able to get your foot out into the right position and then have the leg strength to actually catch yourself from that fall to stop the fall from hitting. And so what happens is the fall gets completed, you land hard on the ground, a bad thing breaks, and a lot of hip falls and broken hips end up in death in the elderly. Mm. So you have to have the physical strength to be able to get your foot in that right position and then actually have the physical eccentric strength to avoid actually hitting the ground. And so these are the types of things that actually have direct impacts on your health of why your legs need to be strong. Unlike your upper body, relatively, you're not going to use your upper body as much to catch yourself from a fall. You don't use your upper body. Oh, well, unlike people, you may do it. I've seen you do it a lot. But most of us don't use our arms for locomotion. <laughs> right? We walk with our legs mostly. Mostly. <laughs> so if we want to walk through space, this is a leg issue. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing magical about the legs other than the fact that they have a quite different function. Um, I mean, if you look at what happens in space with NASA, actually, they have a hell of a time keeping leg strength and leg mass on people. The upper body actually can get bigger in space. Mm. They can gain muscle size in the upper body because what happens is they, 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 they almost switch. Because if you think about any video you've seen with an astronaut, how are they getting through the space station? Yeah, they're kind of crawling around. Crawling around with their arms, aren't right. they? Their arms turn into their legs. Mm. They get a lot of physical activity. They preserve their arm mass a lot of times, but their legs just fall completely into death. Reminds me of Smithers from The Simpsons. Yeah, right. <laughs> get kind Gangly. Of Smithersy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Swarming around like a lizard. So right. could we potentially end up becoming too... Uh, myopic or limited with our perspective of like, okay, so we just need to start training eccentric loads. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then can you explain what eccentric is? Yeah, sure. Well? Th that's because a that's a very very good point. Uh, so first of all, the the way that muscle contracts is what we call concentric, isometric, or eccentric. So isometric, iso meaning the same, metric meaning measure. So isometric essentially means you're contracting but nothing's moving. So picture a plank. Right, you're contracting your abs but you're not going up and down. Nothing's being moved. Your traps, your delts, or your glutes, hopefully, are all being squeezed, but nothing's moving. Concentric is when the muscle shortens. So the picture of bicep curl. So when you're moving the barbell from your waist to your shoulder, the bicep is shortening. That's concentric. When you lower it down, though, that's eccentric. So in the case of a fall, you have to be able to project your foot out in front of you but then as your foot lands and your body starts to land down, your ability to stop your leg from going all the way down to the ground is an eccentric attraction. So you're avoiding lengthening. You're stopping motion. So think concentric as creating motion most of the time. Isometric is not allowing motion to happen and staying in the same position. Eccentric is controlled movement. So lowering yourself down from that overhand push-up is an eccentric contraction. When you go to push back up to get back up in the air, now that's concentric. You stopped halfway through and just held that position, that's isometric. So the beauty of a lot of the movement practice that you do is it requires a coupling of all three of those. So some, some of your muscles have to be isometric at the same time that some of them are concentric to allow the eccentric ones to let you down slowly or up slowly, mm -hmm. moving around. Right. This, is, this is the uh, 
the, the actual most accurate depiction of how human movement occurs is if we move well, that means we understand which ones are supposed to be on and holding and bracing and stabilizing to allow the other ones to actually create movement. If we fail to hold that isometric position, then we have uncontrolled movement in places where movement shouldn't happen. We get injury and we get loss of force. So this is basically eccentric. Um, and the, the second point of your question was, oh, the, the myopic part yeah. of it. Which I think is, is, again, I'm glad you brought that up because we really need to hammer on that. Yeah. To understand that, I see it happening right now. Actually, I was just at a at a place I won't I won't name, and uh, just because I'm kind of talking mm -hmm. shit in a way. But yeah, they have like these specific kind yeah. of like three positions, yeah. and it's like the best technology ever, and does eccentric loads, good for bone oh, density sure. and all that. Sure, yeah. and I'm like, what you mean you only do these three positions? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know this costs like fifty thousand dollars, but this is yeah. <laughs> so. You know, like this is the position of the book as well. Is is we're not against machines like that. Uh, in fact, we're we're for them. We're pro those things. If you have issues in those specific areas, I'm happy that a technology exists that says, "Hey, I got a real problem in this position. I'm glad a machine exists to let me overload this position." Sure. However, if this is our only movement practice, like this is now going to be a problem over time. Uh, variation is critical for longevity. It's critical for long-term health. It's critical for long-term adherence. But variation doesn't mean randomization either. So we don't just want to just randomly make things up all the time either. And we need to have ourselves in a position where we have some structure and we have some freedom. And sometimes we sway back to mostly freedom. Sometimes we sway back to mostly structure, depending on the goal, the phase, the training adaptation, whatever we're looking for. Uh, so having the options allows us to get the outcomes we're looking for while also making sure that this is sustainable over time and we're not getting too focused. Anytime we get too focused on those metrics, um, specificity is good for getting very good at that thing. But it's, by definition, terrible about getting better at almost anything else. Yeah. And in fact, eventually, that will limit us. So it's all about a question of why. Like, what's our purpose? What, what, what is the goal of this workout? of this week, of this month, of this year, what are we trying to get to? And then we can apply those things judiciously and appropriately so that we don't end up in bad positions. And we realize that if we become overly random, we probably don't see many adaptations. Or we don't see them very specifically. That's not good or bad. That, that just is what it is. Depending on the person, that might be phenomenal. Another situation, that might be terrible. Specificity on the, is on the other end of the spectrum, which is equally same problems, right? But the opposite now. Phenomenal for getting a very specific goal improved, but not great for anything besides that goal. And over time, we're going to have probably overuse or, or other limitations. So yeah. um, a weightlifter who's been not doing nothing but one rep, one rep max snatches for 10 years is going to be phenomenal in those things and horrendous in everything else. That's, I, I uh, back in like bodybuilding days, I, I would do... Like you try to do like once a week, call them negatives, uh -huh. right? Which is just eccentric, eccentrics, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And because it would, from my understanding at the time, it would break the muscle down more and lead to more hypertrophy and more, mm -hmm. it, like it would make Those it grow more. Those are all pretty more. true, yeah. Can, you, can we kind of get into totally. actually what's happening? Like why would an eccentric load, like what's, what's, what's happening there? So uh, the eccentric and the negative, it's all the same thing. Um, you can actually produce more force eccentrically than concentrically. So you can lower more weight down than you can actually lift it back up. 
Uh, you can pick whatever movement you like, squat, bench. You could pick that overhead. Um, for you audio listeners, you were just doing some awesome overhead push-ups, I guess you'll call them. I don't know what you describe them. Yeah, I don't know. Handstand thing on a handstand par on parallettes or yeah, whatever. There you go. Just nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just moving, right? There's nothing wrong with just moving. Yeah. That's a that's a whole other part. It's like yeah, we, we can move name. too. Put yeah. a name on it. <laughs> put a name. Put a number on it. Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Wanted to take a brief moment and thank Sun Warrior for supporting this podcast. They are, in my opinion, the most delicious vegan protein that I've found. Um, they are raw, sprouted, and fermented for increased bioavailability and general deliciousness. Um, I hope you guys enjoy that stuff. Grab yourself 15% off on any purchase at sunwarrior.com and then throw in the Align code at checkout and get yourself 15% off. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Here we go back to the show um anyway so yeah the you can produce more force eccentrically so because of that uh you can often load more and loading is important for hypertrophy like this is just one of the fundamental things uh and there's at least two potentially three mechanisms that induce muscle hypertrophy one of them is metabolic distress so this is the burn this is the pump right like you literally leave afterwards and you're you feel the pump and mm -hmm. you got the burn uh, none of these three are absolutely required. You don't have to have all three, but probably at least one of the three has to happen to grow a muscle. So metabolic disturbance is one. Uh, mechanical tension, which is heavy, overload, has to require the muscles to contract forcefully. And the third one is muscular damage. Now, uh, you know, since we're roughly the same generation, I grew up the same thing, right? It's just like trash the muscle, break yeah. it up as much as you possibly it's can. It's got to hurt. And you can't move for at least three days after. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's clearly, that's going to get the muscle damage right. So that is, you can't, you're going to induce hypertrophy that way. But I think where we have evolved now is to say, well, that's not the only option. And we have clear evidence that there's no relationship between the amount of hurt you get, the amount of sore, and the amount of growth you get. So burying yourself in pain is not going to, you know, 5% more pain doesn't equal 5% more growth. Uh, there's a saturation point, and it happens probably a lot sooner than most people realize. So uh, if you work out and you're trying to grow muscle, and you leave the gym, and you're not fatigued, you're not sore, it wasn't heavy, that's probably not going to grow you a ton of muscle. Hmm. With the exception of you have to continue that practice for a long time. After two or three or four years, well, then they're probably going to have some muscle growth. So it just happens at a smaller scale. But if you're really trying to maximize hypertrophies, you know, get as big as you can in the next eight weeks or something, you have to have at least two of those three things, um, maybe even all three of them. So that the eccentrics, to get back to your question, it knocks off a couple of those things. It induces a lot of mechanical tension because it is more force production than even concentric. Right. And it can, it will, it can, it definitely does more damage. So eccentrics tend to cause more soreness than than concentrics. Why at a like a cellular level so is that. We don't know exactly, right. but the current evidence is the way that your muscle contracts is you've got two small filaments. Uh, one of them is called myosin, the other one's called actin. And so the, it's called, uh, this is a cross bridge or sliding filament theory. So the myosin are big and sort of sit uh, in the middle, and there's six actin that surround the myosin. And the, the myosin reach up and grab those actin and pull them together. And the actin start to kind of stack on top of each other, which is why your bicep gets vertically higher as it contracts, right? Hmm. The actin and myosin are now stacked on top of each other. So if you imagine 
me see if I can do this visual with uh, my words. So if you imagine taking your fingers and your four fingers dot your thumb and pointing your four fingers towards each other. All right, and they're about an inch apart. Well, now measure the distance between your pinky and your pointer finger vertically. So say there's two inches, right? Well, now slide those fingers in between one another. And you'll notice how as you push the fingers closer together, the fingers have to actually start stacking on top of each other. So now the vertical distance between your bottom pinky and your top pointer finger are actually now maybe four inches, something like that. So that's the same thing that's happening. Well, with a concentric contraction, that's when you pull those fibers together, right? Eccentrically, you don't actually have to produce the movement. You just have to stop the movement from happening. So what we can best explain is the eccentric action means you pull those fibers apart, but they're holding on, and you're trying to pull them apart, and you're holding on. Well, eventually, you literally rip them off of each other. Yeah. And that's a little bit more muscle damage. And it is quite true to say that if you spend time focusing on eccentric or the negatives, you will be pretty sore. This is the fastest way. In fact, this is one of the ways I will say always be cautious of a new exercise during the concentric portion. That's what's going to make you wake up during ripping the, sore During the eccentric portion. Yeah, yeah. What, did I not say? concentric. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Be careful during the eccentric portion. So if you're doing a new exercise or a new movement and it is requiring a lot of control lowering, um, then that's going to more likely to lead to, to soreness the next day. And strength? And strength, usually. Um, they tend to be because the force production is higher. What's the recipe? Because that was one with concentric yeah. movements, it's a little bit more like, yeah, just bang away, you know, yeah, whereas yeah. eccentric is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like all of a sudden we take like the, you know, 150 proof or whatever to the alcohol test. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. Be careful, buddy. We're not drinking Everclear. Yeah. <laughs> Here we come, Bacardi. Yeah. Like, I wanted to sip tequila. Right. I didn't want to sip moonshine. Dear God. Um, I, there is, unfortunately, there's not a recipe. Okay. And so I think the recipe is, is exploration. Right. It, it's playing. It's identifying. Depending on where you at with your fitness, um, if it's a movement you're familiar with, then you can push the pace a little bit more. If it's a very new movement, if it's a new, new muscle group, if it's a new muscle action, if it's being contracted in a way it's not been act, asked to contract often, then you have to come way back down. Uh, so I will almost always do uh, in probably less than 25 reps, however that combination is going to happen, of any new movement on a given day. And I, I try not to exceed that day. Like, it, when I hit that number, like, I'm done. Yeah. Is that like a 5x5 five five kind of thing? Like it could be 25 by 1, 1 by 25, 2 by 20, especially if I'm just, yeah. like, exploring the movement a little bit. Yeah. Um, that I, I don't put usually numbers. I do it, try to get better, do it, and then, but I just kind of keep a cognitive count of, like, where are we getting at here? Yeah. All right, better slow down, because if not, I'm going to wake up so trashed tomorrow, I can't practice this thing again for three or four days. I'm out. Right. Um, so... It's really, really hard. But now th that that's not that number is not going to work for every everything. Uh, the calf is very resilient, for example, but the pecs are a lot less resilient. Um, so depending on the muscle group you're using, some of them respond very quickly to volume. Some of them don't. So you just have to be very, very careful. So the only thing we can say tangibly here is um, just be reasonable. When you try a new movement, a new rep range, a new exercise, a new uh, modification of an exercise, what's the harm in just starting really easy? You do it one time, do it really easy, and if you woke up feeling like nothing tomorrow, well, great, you'll train harder t tomorrow. Yeah. But you don't want the inverse to happen, which is be like, oh, I thought I was going to be good here. I wasn't getting that tired, and I woke up, and now I can't take a poop today because my abs are so sore. 
Like, I can't cough without being in pain. Uh, well, we, we didn't need to maybe get there. Yeah. So you can always do more tomorrow. Just save some in the tank. This yeah. is the recipe. And that's a great idea or concept to relate to everything. I think that it's like there's a, it might have been Rolf, Rolf Waldo Emerson. It was, it was some really famous writer, but he, he had a similar rule with his writing. Once he got to the point where he was like, you know, he's in the flow. He yeah. didn't go till four in the morning. just like, ugh, like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. full, you know, asleep on his desk. Leave some in the tank. Leave some in the tank, even from a creative perspective, even yeah. from, you know, all the other potentials. There, yeah. there was um, somebody, I was in the car last night and someone asked me this, like, fitness related question and I was pretty confident I was going to get it. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to nail this. And he asked, uh, when muscles get smaller, what the hell happens to him? He's like, I've always wondered. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, you get it big. It's like, it's like for some reason, like getting bigger makes more sense. Like, then, but then like when your body catabolize it, catabolize it. How do you say that word? Catabolize. Catabolism. Catabolize. Yeah. yeah. Breaks it down. Mm -hmm. Like, how does it go away? Atrophy. Yeah, what is atrophy? Yeah, so Can we ask that. Yeah. <laughs> is that annoying? No, <laughs> okay. no, dude. Muscle physiology is what I do, man. Right, exactly. It's not every day that I have you here. <laughs> uh, um, it's the exact same process in reverse as hypertrophy. So atrophy is is not the exact opposite of hypertrophy, but in this example, we can use it that way. Uh, so what happens is, imagine a ponytail or an electrical wire, since we're sitting underneath these amazing electrical wires. I know. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> Just but they were side beautiful palm trees. They were in a garden, for God's sake. There's kale growing. And uh, Give this me is a break. the first podcast I've ever done on a beanbag. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> so There's a lava friend. lamp. I'm going to bring a lava lamp out here in a second. Okay. Okay. Just joking about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did I take you upstairs to my house when you came over? I don't think so. Do you have a lava lamp? No. <laughs> <laughs> but our master bedroom is upstairs, and we've got an awesome balcony. And in three, two and a half years, three years, whatever, we've gone on our balcony like twice. Because mm. you walk out on our balcony, and it has about the same view that you have right here, which is like directly into a giant telephone pole and wires everywhere. And I'm like, oh, there's trees everywhere. Right. Just, just fucking. Just so people know, we're also about five minutes from the beach. Yeah, yeah I'm not <laughs> complaining. <It's, laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I certainly don't want to be hypocrite because I love the technology when it keeps my refrigerator on yeah. and all those things. So. Right, exactly. Uh, anyways. <laughs> um, what was your... Oh, the, okay. I'll get, okay, so let's imagine Cat a ponytail. Catabolize. Catabolize. That's how or you that. say it. I don't know. I couldn't do it before. So the way that muscle works is <laughs> any, any of your individual muscles are actually comprised of hundreds of thousands, if not millions or billions of individual muscle fibers. So just like how a ponytail works, you would say it's one ponytail, right? But there's actually... That ponytail is made up of hundreds of hair, individual hair cells, right? So there is really no muscle. It's just all a collection of these individual muscle fibers. Just like there's no ponytail, it's just a thing we call a bunch of hair that are kind of organized around each other. And they're all wrapped in a little layer of insulation. Just like the, the wires going over this thing. Well, that's actually not one wire right there. Right. It looks like one wire, but there's a bunch of individual wires inside that that are all wrapped around each other. And then inside any one of those individual ones is probably a bunch of other smaller wires wrapped around. That's exact construction of, of muscle. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got connective tissue on the outside around the entire muscle. Then inside that, you've got smaller groupings. And around those groupings are more connective tissue. And around those smaller groupings, and you go all the way down to those actinomyosin. And so this is when we've got different layers of connective tissue, right? We've got fascia and, and endomycium, epimycium, paramycium, all these different things of connective tissue around there. 
Well, what happens is the individual muscle fibers themselves increase in their diameter. So they get thicker. So when that happens, that causes the entire muscle to get thicker too. Because if we can't, if we don't increase in the entire diameter of the muscle, the spacing between each fiber gets smashed up next to each other. So we want to have an optimal, ideal spacing. So those actinomyosin I talked about earlier, well, I can't contract and pull one over top of the other one if we're all smashed up next to each other. There's nowhere to go. And so as they increase their diameter, they sort of push everything else around them. So the entire circum... I just lost a word. Circumference? Circumference. There you go. Good. Very proud of you. This damn Reishi T's not working. God, come on, man. The circumference of the entire fiber... Uh, the entire fiber get lar gets larger and the entire muscle gets larger. Well, atrophy is the same thing, and just in reverse. So the individual fibers themselves just shrink in their diameter. Now, eventually, um, over time, you will lose muscle fibers. So uh, about 50% of your fibers will be gone by the time you turn 60, 70, maybe 80, um, if you're not physically active, at least. So you'll lose muscle fibers. So if we're talking about, like, atrophy in terms of why I'm, I'm 65 years old, you know, what happened to my muscle relatives when I was 20? Well, you've probably had a combination of the fibers themselves getting smaller, as well as you had some fibers die out. Hmm. Uh, but if we're talking like, hey, six weeks later, you know, like I was in super shape, why am I smaller? It's probably mostly because the fibers themselves just got smaller. So does your body end up eating the muscle, essentially, if you're not utilizing it? Like, it it's ends up using it for ATP, which is, you know, like the yeah, energy well it, currency? Yeah, it uses it for ATP, but more probably more more accurately is um, glycogenolysis from this, or gluco gluconeogenesis, in this case, from, the, from protein is not a preferred mechanism, which is to say, we don't really love to make ATP or energy out of protein. Mm. Because it's last resort, it, yeah, well, maybe not last resort. Is it last resort? Well, yeah, it's you, at the end for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but more importantly, because protein is structure, and protein is a valuable resource. Energy is easy to get from carbohydrates or fat. So why use the valuable resource of protein when that protein could be used for other things that fat and carbohydrates can't? So the analogy I'll give you here is we'll just use this wonderful backyard. Now it's a wonderful backyard. <laughs> <laughs> All these fucking wires. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so if we, if we look out here, and let's just say we're looking at this, this garden back here, which I had a, a delicious little watermelon from yeah, quite about nice. an hour or so. Quite ago. nice, yeah. And uh, we said, okay, we've, we need to build a little shed. We just need to build a little covering right here, or extend the deck, or whatever you want to be. And uh, we want to make that. It's going to have to be, we need a metal piece to it. So it doesn't blow over in the in the, in the earthquake in the earthquake the impending California earthquake. Yeah, I was gonna say, geez, omens. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we would start with a big pile over there in the concrete. We would get a big pile of supply. We would get metal and all these things, and we would take all these pieces of metal and we would form them and, and use fire and other things, and we would construct them together to make the shed that we want in the space in the the arena that we wanted it. Well. We would all, we, in order to actually take that protein, in this case the metal is, is protein, or the shed is protein, we would actually have to put some energy in the system. So I can't just look at those pieces of scrap metal in the corner and be like, make a shed. Right. Like, no, 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 no. Not going to happen, right? Not yet. <laughs> we, <right. laughs> There's still time. Yeah. 
We have to invest some physical energy in it, right? We, you and I have to grab things and put it in, whether that's fire and we're welding or we're physically hammering things together. Energy has to be put into that system to take that scrap metal and put it into a usable, in this case, function. So protein is actually made up of a bunch of smaller components or scrap metal called amino acids. And amino acids are the backbone for, of course, your muscle, but they are what your, your red blood cells are made of. Antibodies are made of protein. Mm. Um, your hair is made of protein. Your immune system, your immune cells are all made of it's these same amino acids. These are all proteins. So I could burn down that metal shed and get a fire. Like if you've ever tried to make a fire out of metal, it can happen. But boy, is that a giant waste of metal. If you're lost in the wilderness, if the apocalypse hits and you really need a fire that bad, if you're not going to waste your metal to build a fire. You'd rather go coal because that metal is so much more important for other things. You need defense, shelter, food, any of these things, cooking, like all this stuff. So you can invest that there, but it's not a good use of your resources. Right. You would rather break down that muscle into its amino acid components and then save those amino acids to build the next immune cell, to build the next antibody you need, to build the new red blood cell. Uh, it's just not a good use of those resources to build something as simple as, or to get something as simple as physical energy when you could just wait and carve up some of your fat that's laying right there and it's an excellent place for energy. But if you have too much metal in the backyard, being in this case you have too much muscle and it would be more efficient because you want to climb coconut trees and you're going through a starvation period or whatever it may be, then that's exactly right. Then you want to throw the metal away. Eventually, and if that, that's that's the question. Yeah. Like, where do we throw the metal? <laughs> yeah. Do well, we end I mean, up? in that same doomsday apocalypse scenario, eventually, if you're freezing to death, I mean, literally about to die, then you will burn that thing for heat, right? Or yeah. just changing your perspective, and, and this maybe this analogy is going 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 off the deep end, but it just. It's not that I'm starving necessarily, but I'm changing my movement practice, and all of a sudden, this this excess muscle becomes superfluous and it's actually making me worse at survival. Yeah. Survival in this sense being doing fucking back handstand or you need something yeah. different. So the, the analogy actually extends here, which is to say, if you had that shed and we built that metal shed, well, it does actually take resources to maintain. So it lasts a long time, right? But after five, 10, 15, 20 years, eventually if I don't, you know, replace some of the metal, if I don't put things back in there, it's going to be a crappy, poorly functioning shed, right? So, if I want to keep that muscle, in this case, around, I either have to continually put resources in it, which is I have to feed it, or I have to continually do maintenance on it, which is I have to continually challenge it. In lieu of those two things, eventually you're going to look out and be like, well, that hunk of crap out there, just rip it down. Get it out of here. It's useless now. Yeah. And so that absolutely can happen. And that happens basically in those two scenarios, either underfed or underused. So if you don't stimulate a muscle like that, like the three ways we talked about earlier, uh, eventually sometime the body will say, hey, we've got resources up here that we could be using for other things. We don't seem to need this muscle. We're not using it. We don't need the force capacity or whatever we need for it. Uh, let's let's divert those resources to other things. And the, fib the fibers will actually end up, there will actually be less fibers. Over time, with aging, absolutely. Mm. And how the hell they disappear, we Same can't... Thing. We, do no, we they're just metabolized like everything else. That's, so they're broken amazing. down uh, fairly easily. Yeah. Um, now, something to catabolize an entire fiber over time, and the mechanics of it are pretty simple. Um, Sounds just, like magic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to visualize. Like, no, no, no. Oh. Okay, you want a visual? It's, fair, it's fairly easy. So you've got... Um, uh, imagine we've got uh, five balls in a row. Okay, you got one ball up to the next ball, and you got five balls laying next to each other. 
well, how do I make that chain of balls bigger? I just add a sixth ball. And then I add another row of balls on top of it. And then I add another row beside of it. And all of a sudden, the thickness of this entire ball structure is now getting bigger. Why do I make it smaller? Well, I just start taking one ball off at a time. Mm. And eventually, it's so small that there's just like one ball left. And then eventually, we kick that last ball away, and it's gone. Uh, because what actually happened, those actin and myosin are made of protein globules, which is a little ball of protein. Mm. And so those you, you make those things thicker by just adding more globules to those things, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, or smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Well, eventually, the genetic material in the nucleus of the cell has a pre-programmed death cycle, and it will say, hey, we have no longer been stimulated in functionality. Right, that's Let's that. initiate cell death. And then it just literally is catabolized. And then it doesn't come back. And it's gone. That takes a bit of time because, you know, if I built that shed, and yeah, you know, we haven't used it for three or four years, I'm not gonna tear it down. Three. Well, if I go to tear that down, it's like, okay, you really want to do this? Because once it's down there, it's gone, and it's a lot of work to get it rebuilt. Hmm. Repair maintenance is a lot easier than rebuilding, and so it's not gonna build the shed, or it's not gonna tear the shed down unless it's really thoroughly convinced it's needed. So adding a muscle fiber, which is called hyperplasia, um, is not thought to exist in humans, though it totally exists. Right. Um, and the same thing with, with the opposite of, of removing a muscle fiber. These things are just going to take either extreme exposure uh, to things like eccentric training or a lot of time. Uh, or other things like uh, exogenous testosterone will do it, uh, hypertrophy, or will uh, we'll do hyperplasia probably, um, or just time. And so we're not going to go the opposite direction either until time That's good. starts to get up with us. All right. Yeah. We, need, we need to wrap this thing up. You've probably got places to be and oh, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. But um, I, so the analogy Sorry, that's also working to finish for that, me. Um, no, go on. Yeah, I love it. I want to keep you here for new, the rest of the night. A new, uh, actually, a new paper just came out suggesting, and this has actually been multiple studies, this is one of the reasons why uh, aging patients should probably, or aging people, Oh, I call them patients, not sick. <laughs> like like aging is a disease. Yeah, you're fucking done. <laughs> you're out, bro. <laughs> we have kicked you out of the tribe. We no longer need you here. I don't like that word, patient, in general. Yeah. Like, if I go to a doctor, the second that I become a patient, I'm like, I'm out of here. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah it's uh, got a negative connotation. Uh, yeah. It certainly has a sickness connotation. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, yeah it's not yeah. helpful. Um, <laughs> anyways, older folks <laughs> probably should have a higher protein ingestion than um, younger folks mm. for that exact reason. Because uh, consumption of protein does help preserve. Um, you're, you're, you have a spare pair. You have a spare chunk of metal, kind of sitting in the back of the yard. So when that little piece goes bad, it's easy to repair. If you don't have those amino acids laying around. It's difficult to repair. So because of that, you end up losing muscles. So one of the current thoughts right now is, um, and again, this is very well supported. That doesn't mean it's proved. Like that's that, right. that word doesn't exist. Everything at you're all. saying right now is theoretical. Always. Uh, I mean, I, we could talk epistemology at length. Which um, we did in the last time, not at length. But oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah last yeah. last conversation, we got more into those. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, as as much as I said here, like I'm willing to. To, to step back on any of these things with yeah. enough given evidence. This is this is science. Like science by definition is a verb, not a noun. Like it is something we're doing. It is not a, a solid thing. Uh, it's a continual action and continual action if we knew the answers we wouldn't do science. Like the point of doing science is the admission that we are wrong on something. Yeah. Or we don't know something. So yeah, all these things, everything I've ever said or any other scientists have ever said, the proof is does not exist in science. Um, it's just reduction of uncertainty. Mm. 
Which yeah. I think is the best way to say it. That's a David Bohm quote. He's a theoretical physicist. I, I just read this recently. Is there a reason I like have this on the top, tip of my tongue? But he said he essentially we could we could uh, deduce or take away um, all nouns from language. Sure. Everything is a verb. Sure. And so as you're describing this, the, yeah, yeah. the shed, what I'm imagining to make that shed be enlivened in more of like an obvious biological level, it's doing this anyway. But the shed's just undergoing deep deep erosion all the time oh, and yeah. all the panels are blowing off and the windows are broken and you're just continually you're continually fixing it that's exactly right and so as soon as so it's it becomes kind of a laziness thing like the second that's like do we need to repair this window right now yeah you're like because we got a lot of other shit to repair yep your body's just like, no, we don't need to. Let's move on to the next thing. Especially if it's been damaged, right? So if you do some exercise or some training that damages it a little bit, the body will sense very quickly, okay, we have a damaged protein, we have a misfolded thing, we've got some dysfunction here. Now it has to make the critical decision. Do we cleave and kill? Do we tear down? Or do we repair? Hmm. And given excess damage or a lack of supply or resources, it's going to choose destruction, right? right. So if, if you've got that bad windstorm, you come outside and it is just trashed. Sometimes you go, yeah, I just hell tell with it, rip it's it down. It's easier to just move on. We'll build another one when we need it if we need it. But right now we're not using it that much. It's trash. Looks like shit doesn't function. Take it out. Right. Also, hey, maybe we need it. We really need this shed, but we don't have any money. We don't have any extra metal laying around. We're, we don't have anything. Calories. It's, it's going to go down, right? Exactly. Protein, amino acids in this place. So you're absolutely right. I mean, Feynman said it. Uh, Carl Sagan said it. A, a thousand. Every scientist of you know probably through time is that actually became a scientist. Socrates said this. Um, Aristotle said the same thing, which is basically like this is a process of wrong. We're wrong far more than we are ever right. Mm. In fact, almost by definition, we are we are almost totally wrong. By statistical significance, right? We are statistically 100% wrong on everything. Right. Yeah. Because we're far more wrong than we are right. And so we're just trying to give, we're trying to hedge our bets, which is to say, uh, you've got a thousand people to treat or 10,000 or a million or whatever the number is. What's most likely to work for most people most of the time? And it's just giving you a starting place. So then you have to have the, the self confidence and the, um, the lack of arrogance to say, well, okay. That didn't work for this person. We've got to move in another direction. Yeah, physiology is unique like that. So, yeah, that that should always be true. But that's a very good. Thank you for pointing that out because I always, as a scientist, I want to make sure that I'm not portraying uh, a level of confidence in something that doesn't truly exist. Yeah, uh, this is my confidence in as the data stands now. And the reality of it, I mean, maybe the most true. <laughs> uh, description of it is that it's magic. <laughs> like when you like we have it. I mean, I, I could feel you like kind of kind of rolling your eyes. As I say that, but you know, and no. but also I think agreeing. But it's like that. No, I'm totally agree. I'm not rolling deeper, my eyes. Deeper, like, deeper. I'm rolling my eyes with love. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you didn't actually roll your eyes, but I could feel a certain degree of like I, I misinterpreted. But then if it's like the deepest, deepest level, it's like. Dude, it's magic. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it is. In fact, because uh, I can't remember the exact way to phrase this, but um, it's magic until we fucking figure it out. Right. And then it's not magic anymore. But everything, like, what was magic 10 years ago is no longer magic, right? Yeah. Well, now, something else that we were like, we don't understand this is magic. Well, eventually we'll figure it out, right? But but eventually you also disprove yourself is exactly uh, what you're saying. Almost by definition, yes. So what is figuring it out in the first place? Exactly. It's just another step in the spiral. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> That's exactly right. So it's like we 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 every single time we we come um, to a medical certainty, it almost always ends up being wrong. Yeah. 
always right and so it's like okay we figured it out and i think that there's there's usefulness in the system in this case i mean by like the solution like the proof is the system of thinking there's use in that but the details we can almost it's almost like a placeholder so we can put a placeholder and say like we, we proved that it works this way like wink aka okay we know when we do A, it ends up in B. We don't have any idea how it's actually getting there. We think it's this way. Turns out, well, it's not that way. It wasn't that way, that way. But we built that scaffolding that allowed us to build the building that was actually going to be helpful. Mm. And there's a difference between individual truth. This is called the fallacy fallacy, which is to say you can prove or disprove a contention along the way. And that doesn't necessarily prove or disprove the assertion. Right, and so an easy example that would be, I don't remember if we, we gave we this did. exact example in the last one. I listened yeah. to the last one, uh, I think a few times actually, just because it was like, I took notes on it. Yeah. I enjoyed it, appreciate it. Sorry, I, I talk frequently and uh, quickly. No, it's things. great. Well, that's that's something that I'll notice with these actually. When it was Sometimes upon recording, I am trying to be completely playing, present the whole time you're too you're playing two hats but there's sure. also a certain degree of like at some point Anne's gonna stop talking <laughs> <laughs> you know and you so, uh, so upon listening to it it's always a nice thing of like oh this was good yeah. you know or or like oh god i talked too much again which oh, that's yeah. a big thing <laughs> people so. listening i deeply apologize and more in the past what? In this you get that complaint um, well, I'm just aware of it. I can see it. Oh, I, I don't see think it. so at all. I appreciate it. Uh, but it's been a practice. I mean, this is episode, you know, 170 yeah. or so that I'm as... as uh, I've done hundreds of podcasts in my career and uh, maybe a hundred more in the last couple of months. And I wouldn't put you anywhere near the category of shut the fuck up. I appreciate that. So, But it's been a practice. No, I get it. Yeah. Listen to 160 odd episodes ago. That's solid. Yeah. Um, no, that's good. I <laughs> Usually when I'm on i can tell like if someone's ever listened to me on a podcast or not before because i'll have like a list of 25 questions or whatever they want to get through in an hour i'm like bro right. two or three like yeah. have you heard me talk before right, i'm just gonna right, keep right. fucking going yeah you're in trouble there and then um, the other thing the, the whole goal which now we're going into uh, you know a whole nother direction but is like you said like getting into the deeper kind of like magic of things oh yeah, yeah. that's okay. that's what i find to be really valuable in conversations with people because yeah. we go through all the different codifiable science you know that's so easy to just like boom sweet it's yeah. on the plate there it is you know but uh, my my deeper intentions is to kind of go yeah, yeah. you know yeah, I mean, you, we can, I don't remember the point I was. I don't know. I don't think it. we had a point. No, I had one. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah like the you the, had a point. <laughs> <laughs> the magic is. Uh, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. We can uh, continually. Oh, okay. The 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 point of uh, proving just proves something along the way. So we can say that you know, like we have proved that um, this mushroom does this adaptation or something. Well, I can actually come along perhaps and do a study that shows. Oh, this is actually not doing that adaptation. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we should or not should consume that mushroom. Mm. It just maybe wasn't for that exact reason. And that's where the magic lies. So then you end up going, well, then why is it working? I don't know, magic. Magic is just like a, a pseudonym for, well, we haven't figured out what's going on yet. And every time we feel like we're at a real good spot, we tend to be like, ah, that's not working either. Because we're only confident in these things at the level at which we can measure them. And as we enhance our level, as we transcend our perspective, we just continually realize that wasn't it either. That isn't that wasn't it either. Okay, this was closer. We get closer sometimes we think. Yeah. But, but then there quantum, is value. quantum there is value physics there. jumps in and tells us like, oh that's all fuck code. But that's the oh. there is value. It's like that an easy apparent 
in my mind, rock climbing analogy is you go up to, you set a piece of protection, we'll call yeah, it, like yeah, you go right. to a point, For sure. and then you're safe from there, and now, okay, cool, sweet, we have our anchor. If I fall, I fall to that point. Yeah. All right, let's explore. Yeah. You know, sure. and <laughs> that's what we're doing with science. Yeah, a lot of the times, and um, you know, we're we're realizing sort of like, okay, uh, this is this is great. This is what we found to be totally true. Okay, it's not true in this situation. This situation. Okay, well, we have to be. It has to be actionable because the people are living and dying and suffering right now. Right. And we have to be able to give them our best recommendations. So we do have to live and fly by the seat of our pants a little bit because you want treatment. Uh, you want care. So we have to give recommendations. And inherent in that, we have to also recognize, like, well, yeah, but that's probably going to be the wrong prescription for some people. Hmm. I don't mean necessarily, like, drug prescription. I just mean, like, the wrong advice. Yeah. Whatever that ends up being. And so we're going to have some casualties along the way. Um, but I, th I think we're moving things forward in most of medicine and moving far backwards in other aspects of medicine. Hmm. Um, yeah. I don't think I have to convince your audience of that. Yeah, no, like, this is, yeah, that's, this is what we talk about. Right. Um, yeah. like things like, you know, I would have a project that it, of course I, I, I'm going to continue to scream this from as far as I can, but we're not far from a place where we have to change the responsibility of, of physical medicine to where it is very good at what it is. It is terrible what it's not. And and for decades, if not hundreds of years, we allowed that practice to be synchronized. We just can't anymore. Hmm. Um, knowledge is expanding to the point I've, I've got, I usually have two or three or four med students a year that intern with me, either in med school or getting ready to start or between residencies or something like that. And every year I've watched this evolve. And even in my short time in my career, the amount of knowledge, and by knowledge I mean, I should say data, information, not necessarily knowledge, hmm. like, but information, that they're being requested to know. It's just continuing to go up, 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 up. And at some point we reach a threshold of like, what's the human brain physically capable of knowing in terms of not wisdom, but data sets. And does that potentially have a reciprocal effect on knowledge? And then what is knowledge? Exactly. <laughs> but if they were So epistemologically, meters, you could call knowledge and data the same thing. That's fine. I wouldn't argue too much there. But knowledge is not insight, and insight's not wisdom. Yeah. And there absolutely is a law of diminishing returns. When we ask somebody to dedicate five years to collecting and remembering as much data as they can, how much time do they possibly have to develop wisdom? Yeah. No, no way. Like this time is a physical asset, right? That, best of my knowledge, we can't reset or slow down, right? Uh, absolutely, anyways. Of course, we can relatively, but we we can't do that. So as we ask them to be holders, we ask them to be giant Wikipedia pages. How can we also ask them to be better humans? Yeah. Well, well we can't. Like this is not going to happen. And so we have to keep them in their skill set, which is extensive. Any physicians that are listening out there. I mean, I, I had to go through a semester of med school, and I realized quickly, like, holy crap, this is hard. It is a tremendous burden. The people that get through med school are in s extremely smart people in that metrics of smart. Just tremendous. Uh, it's very, very difficult, so I have tremendous respect for that. And it is a very difficult practice for the most part because the consequences of my job are crappy paper that people make fun of. The consequences of their job are somebody died. Yeah. So I have tremendous respect for that. So I don't want to criticize or indict that um, profession at all. And they are very good at medicine. And they are very good at treatment of trauma. 
they're not good at prevention at all. They're not good at anything outside of you have this exact disease based on this algorithm. You've got A, B, C, D, and E. Take this exact treatment as best we know it. Anything outside that, tre uh, that treatment scope, they're terrible at. But that's not their job. That's not what they were trained in. They don't have personal experience of that. They need to have the self-awareness, though, to say, oh, I don't know these things. Based on my scientific or medical training, it says A. So as a medical professional, I'm going to recommend A. However, you're interested in another treatment option. Absolutely. What can I do to help? But that's not my area. I can't help you there. And, and just that, I think, alone would be enough for us to be like, oh, awesome. Like, they've recognized they're infallible, too. That's fantastic. Give people the answer as best you can and treat the things you can, but don't give us nutrition advice. Don't give us training advice. Don't give us prevention. Give, give me, I got shot in the leg. What the hell is the best way to stop me from dying right now? Because that's what you spent 7 to 10 to 12 years being trained to do. And, and I want you there in all of your training when that happens to me, if things like that happen. But I don't need you there to step outside of your boundaries. Um, just like you wouldn't ask me to show up and, and perform that surgery on your leg. Yeah. So uh, we have to separate those things eventually. And when we have to have um, non Medical professionals, audio people, I just air quoted for that one, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting. Yeah. Um, we have to treat those people at the same level of authority as the quote-unquote MDs. And I think when we get there, it will actually relieve a lot of pressure from the MDs to not be the all-knowing end-alls. Because like, right now as it stands, MD trumps anything. For some reason. We don't use that word on this podcast. MD? No, Trump. Oh, okay. I'm just joking. <laughs> actually, I actually really have anything against Trump. I don't have anything for guy. I don't know. I don't know what the hell it's got. I don't think I know enough yeah. to really have an opinion for. I mean, coming from a, the way that I perceive people, yeah. I have, you know, I don't have anything positive to say for sure. Yeah, I think. But you're... I don't, th I think it's all fucking, bad. like the, the, what we, the, the information that we actually receive so, gets filtered. So it's like cocaine. Well, you, once you get cocaine, if you're in like Toronto and it came from Bolivia, it went through a lot of filters before it got to Toronto. <laughs> and I think that that's the political my, my information. General, I'll save my uh, <laughs> position of Trump. Uh, <laughs> but. My general view of politics is the exact same way I say. I say, yeah. like, you don't really know it's true. Yeah, man. And, like, it's not just because of social media in the last five years. This has been true in the history of politics. Unless you're in that room, you don't have any idea what they actually know. Yeah. And it's easy to sit out here, like, guy who spends an hour a day on CNN or whatever, and you think you know the same as that the director of the CIA knows? Like, get yeah. out of here. Right. So when they make, why'd they do that? It would have been so much, like. Come on, Bob. You like, know exactly on, Bob. What, what, what they, in, in air quotes, permit you to know. Exactly. And shape and form you to know. Yeah. And, like, it's all perspective. So we're all twisting and manipulating things. Like, depending on if you watch this TV channel or this TV channel, like, it's going to be completely different. I think, actually, my love of epistemology and science, like, makes me impossible for politics because of those exact reasons. I'm like, right. you don't know. You don't know the data set like they know it. Like, right. you have no idea. You really think, again, CNN reporter or whatever like has the inside information that yeah. like, no like yeah. no no there's a bunch of locks and a bunch of doors buried really far underground and there's where the most information is and you just hope to Zeus and everybody else that they're making the best decision when they're factoring in everything from the geopolitical side from the humanity side of it the economic side and they're willing to go you know what this is going to hurt A, B, and C but 
we have to do this because the greater good is here. And that means shittiness a lot of times. And I'm sure a lot of our leaders don't always make the best decisions for the people. Sometimes they make the best decisions for re-election. Sure. I am sure that happens often. But fuck, man, we don't know what's going on behind those doors. Like, yeah. you don't have any idea. And this all relates back to cellular oh yeah i gotta go i gotta go to a a jujitsu thing here oh yeah uh, yeah have you are you doing jujitsu oh yeah i'm a jitzer oh very nice is that that your gi over there that's the gi this is the gi from mr jason Kleep, actually who we just released uh episode with him a few episodes ago and he gifted that to me which i hadn't i hadn't trained jujitsu for probably like a year and a half or two years or something like that mm-hmm. and then i was at his place doing one of these mm-hmm. and we rolled and he gave me the gi i'm like all right i gotta train so this is this is for mr jason uh-huh. i'm officially training jiu-jitsu again oh it's like the most addicting thing i've ever done physically are you training presently uh yeah oh cool yeah i've oh, i've sweet, man. For quite some time oh red uh i love it it's how fantastic. long consistently um it's tough, like anything. It's like hitting the spurts. Yeah. If you had to aggregate, like how long? Because I've I've technically been training jujitsu for like ten years. Right. But <laughs> right. I'm still a blue belt. <laughs> right. Know? Right. <laughs> right. Um, I I basically hadn't trained since I've been in California, so like six years. Oh. I've had uh, three, four knee surgeries in that time. Yeah. And just can't do jujitsu with a knee. Right. Uh, but then just started again very recently. That's good, man. Uh, and we'll see how it fires up. But prior to that, um, I did probably collectively aggregated uh, uh, maybe a year and a half of total training, sort okay. of spread out over a lot of things. Um, Come down and train, But man. a lot of that stuff was uh, a lot of MMA, too, like no-gi stuff. So. Kenny, people listening, Kenny Florian has a – are you familiar with him at all? He's yeah, like, of course. Yeah, yeah. So he just opened up a, a really, really nice jiu-jitsu – I never know what to call him. What do you call him? Studio? Gym? Academy? I don't like gym. calling it a dojo, that's for sure. No, I don't call it a dojo. <laughs> don't call it a dojo. <laughs> no. Uh, but jiu-jitsu anyways, school, Santa, I think, is the best way to say it. School, I think, works out. But anyways, yeah. he just opened a space. and Where? Um, in Santa Monica? Santa Monica. Oh. He's teaching all the time. It's great. I did not know that. It's unbelievable. To be able to get that caliber of coaching. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, so people. There's so many out. guys down here. It's, it's unbelievable. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So How do people find find you? How do people get the, the, the book, the Unplugged? Book, yeah, Unplugged Evolve from Technology to Upgrade Your Fitness, Performance, and Consciousness. Uh, that's, you know, anywhere books are sold. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, cool. all the such. Great. Um, you can check out the, the Body Knowledge podcast that Kenny Kane and I do um, that's up on iTunes Stitcher bodyknowledge.com um, you can check out uh, my social media at dr Andy Galpin it's pretty easy to find and uh, my website andygalpin.com which I just officially launched a patreon account with cool uh, so that website is you know all of my university material all my lectures any clinic uh, conference I give uh, I make videos and I post those things up and and just give it away all for free, man. That's great. No membership, no newsletter, no nothing to sign up for. Just free-ass information. Mm. That's great, man. So, Appreciate it. It's all up. Thank you so much. My pleasure always, man. Appreciate it. Super fun. Stop recording. Ow.
Align Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the podcast. If you want to support what we are doing and you are digging it, um, one thing you can do is you can jump onto aligntherapy.com and grab yourself an Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band and a door anchor and um, comes with an instructional video guide and breakdown decompression of those joints, self-care stuff, exercise stuff. It's great. Um, some free things that you guys can do, one of which would be, as we mentioned, utilizing the Amazon affiliate link. Top hand, right-hand corner of the podcast page and uh, just bookmark that thing. Anytime you purchase crap on Amazon, we get about 6 or 7% of that. It costs you nothing. And um, also, you could jump on to audibletrial.com slash align to get yourself a free audible audio book and a free month subscription. Costs you absolutely nothing and kicks us down some some scratch. Um, thank you guys so much. Really appreciate your support and uh, thanks for sharing. Thanks for tuning in. Wouldn't be possible without you. And look forward to seeing you next week.